0: Welcome to Fast Frontiers. I am your host, Tim Schigel, Managing Partner of Refinery Ventures in Cincinnati, Ohio. In today's episode, I'll be talking with Nick Moran, who is the founder and general partner of Newstack Ventures in Chicago, Illinois. Nick is also the founder of the very first venture capital podcast, The Fool Ratchet. So today we're gonna to talk about how Nick and Newstack approaches working with their portfolio companies. They don't fancy themselves as the boss of these startups, uh, but more as service providers, and that they they recognize that they are in the financial services industry, and their job is to serve founders, and not prevent their success. Do no harm, if you will. From the very beginning, they're just trying to accelerate the vision and help them deal with challenges. Nick goes on to talk to us about the importance of the human element, where all people, after all, and at the end of the day, it's people that build businesses. And build value, not strategies alone. And finally, Nick will share what it means to invest in the middle of the country in supporting mission driven leaders and the three important criteria, which are capital, talent, and customers. Please enjoy my conversation with Nick Moran. Okay, today I'm super excited. We have our guest, Nick Moran, the founder and general partner of New Stack Ventures. Prior to New Stack, Nick worked for Danaher Corporation and M&A in product management, and there he developed one of their most successful products in the company's history, an analytical device for testing compounds and drinking water at nanoscale. Uh, in addition to investing, Nick founded the first venture capital podcast, The Full Ratchet, in Chicago, Illinois. That's right. Welcome, Nick. Thank fellow you,
1: Tim. P- it's a pleasure to be here.
0: A little pioneer in the, in the fast <laughs> frontier.
1: Hardly, we're all doing our best, you know we gotta gotta get out there and gotta meet people and gotta try and find compelling startups so
0: Well, we appreciate you doing that. You know, the whole premise for this podcast is that you know innovation is is popping up in unexpected and surprising places, right It's not constrained geographically or by other boundaries and and the people who operate in the frontiers are the the pioneers. Right, the people and and the the entrepreneurs that we're looking to invest in are the pioneers. So that's right. What you're what you're doing and, and what you've done with Newstack is I consider you know a pioneer. So so first up, just talk about what that experience so far in, and, and um, in terms of investing and understanding you know in the context of your experiences in other parts of the country, what pioneering in this space of tech, entrepreneur, you know, startups, and venture has been like?
1: I may be a founder myself because I've created this venture capital firm, but it's really about the founders we're investing in. I mean, they're the true pioneers. They're the, the true folks that are taking inordinate risk and doing it in environments that have not traditionally been very conducive uh, to folks taking that level of risk. It's great that folks like, you know, Refinery and and some other venture firms now exist uh, in the middle of the country and can help entrepreneurs help accelerate that vision. You know, investors are often described as one of two things. They're either a tax or they're an amplifier on on startups, right? An investor can operate like a boss. They can come in and do eight-hour you know, meetings every month, board meetings every month. Tell the the founder how they should run their business. Tell them who they should hire. Um, we believe that that impedes progress more than it helps progress. And we don't fancy ourselves as the boss. We fancy ourselves as service providers. Right? We're in the financial services industry. Our job is to serve founders, not prevent their success. So from the very beginning, you know, beyond the capital, we're just trying to accelerate their vision and help them uh, deal with challenges and barriers to their success. Because if you find really special, special individuals that are building compelling businesses, they're going to have some success and you can help them get there more easily and more quickly and more capital efficiently. Or you can, you know, be, problematic and impede that success. So we've done our best to try and promote the founders that are overlooked, that are in these regions that don't get the same attention as the Bay Area. And so far, it's been the most rewarding thing I've done in my life.
0: Well, and one of the things I know you said in in one of your interviews where you were being interviewed, the man on the mic, was thinking of this industry as a, a human industry. And I really like that. I tell people all the time, most of the books on my shelf, even though I a, have a tech background, are mostly psychology books about leadership and psychology. How does that, on a day to day basis, like, uh, you know, give me an example of how you've used that in the context of the current investment, maybe on in a board where you've had to you know, influence a board or a founder to go, you know, one direction versus another and, you know, how that turned out?
1: Well, the human element is is super important. We're we're all people, and at the at the end of the day, it's people that that build businesses and build value. It's not strategies, right? These, these firms that focus on you know the optimal uh, startup with the perfect strategy. Uh, You know, they've been looking, let's say it's a sector focused fund, and they've been looking for a very specific type of startup for two years, and they finally find, find it, right? They find the bright shiny object, and they pounce before assessing, you know, are the people behind it the right people? Are they mission driven? Are they committed for the next 10 plus years of their life? Were they put on this planet and to build this particular startup, does their background and demand expertise you know suggest that they are the best people in the world to create transformational technology in that area i mean that's more what we do, and that's why we're generalists and so you know the 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 tricky part about startups is there's there are thousands now of podcasts. That are focused on the glamour and the glory and the hype of building a startup and becoming the next Mark Zuckerberg. And I think that those are very counterproductive. I do not think that this is a glamorous thing to do. I think you have to be a player you have to be a coach and you have to evolve into a leader, right? Like to some of these psychology books you've talked about. I mean, when I, when I had my annual event the first year, who was the guy setting up the chairs, right? And carrying the stage from the 12th floor down to the fifth floor, you're looking at them, right? And I've, I've never complained because I'm building my own startup and that's what you have to do. You have to be willing to get your hands dirty. And if you, you got to, you know run through data and do customer calls and work your butt off to get from you know step A to step B. that's just a part of it. Uh, there's no room for complaints there's no room for you know optics and glamour it's It's really a a vocation of hustle and tenacity and being willing to do things that most people you know, would view as being beneath them. And to the point earlier, you know, you, you have to also kind of have that unique rare ability to grow into a coach over time. So as the team expands, and you can, quote unquote, fire yourself from certain roles, you know, remove various tasks, tasks and tactical items from your plate, you have to be able to build a team and entrust that team to do it and as the startup progresses over time you know the the doing becomes much less and the leading becomes much more and it really takes a rare person and a rare mindset that can evolve through all those roles and and optimize around each as a startup progresses
0: so what have you done to improve your ability to make that assessment prior to investment and what kinds of things do you do have you been able to do to, to assist or coach or help, help those entrepreneurs on that journey?
1: I guess I'll start by saying that we try not to be the experts in a founder's business. Uh, we recognize the fact that they should be much deeper and much more knowledgeable about their specific opportunity and their domain than we will ever be. Um, so we try not to impose too much you know, esoteric knowledge in their category now of course there are broadly speaking there are business characteristics you know uh, go to market pricing strategies business model etc that we can see patterns across businesses and so my job is to objectively present data and present things to founders and then have them find the right path. Or my job may be to challenge a founder, you know, go out and pressure test this, you know, assess this market. I don't have all the right answers, but there are methods that can be employed to get to the right answers. Um, But in terms of, you know, how do we assess for that? I can't remember who said it. I think it was somebody at Sequoia, but they said, you know, the the best investors um, are listeners. They ask open-ended questions, they, they don't talk much, and they just process the answers from the founders, right? And uh, the founder that can get me really excited about their vision, their mindset, they have a clear short-term path to develop a product, get it into market, show traction around a specific application or, or customer market. And then also pair that with a, a huge long-term vision that, you know, the excitement, you can feel the excitement coming from them. And they're committed to very first principles thinking, you know, they stay super close to the customer. If I ask a founder, you know, how many customers have you spoken with about this, this problem? And they say, you know, less than five, or in some cases, none, right? Oh, I just have this theory. Whereas you have some, oh, hundreds, right? Just, just in the past, past week, I've talked to 35, right? I mean, it's these first principles items that as long as you're, you're listening and you keep your ears open, you can typically find the folks that you know are applying best practices and building their startup with first principles the right way.
0: Have you noticed any Differences between entrepreneurs in the Midwest versus Silicon Valley?
1: 100%. I mean, the standard Silicon Valley is I, IV Stanford educated, big tech experience, young white male technical, many, many mercenaries, right? People that are working on something because it's a huge opportunity, not because they particularly care about it. You know, the average duration for an engineer in the valley is less than a year and a half. People jump from job to job. You know, how do you build a long-term sustaining culture when you've got a revolving door of talent coming in and out? You know, it's much more about what's cool and what's hot as opposed to where the real value lies. So this is part of why I love the middle of the country because people people's mindset is not distorted by the echo chamber of the valley. You find mission-driven folks that truly believe in a mission, that are committed to it for a decade plus. They have the right demand expertise. They're focused on building a, a, a business the right way. They can, they can achieve progress before raising capital, which is the opposite in the valley. Often it's capital before progress. I am really glad that I'm not in the valley because it's become so mature that now it's suffering from some fallout and some unintended consequences of having uh, such a concentration of hype and tech and, and folks in the industry in one area. Uh, you know, I very much enjoy the folks that are doing it for the right reasons.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think the uh, those pioneers of these new fast frontiers are going to be looking in places where we live. And other places where they have a strategic advantage for all the reasons you just mentioned. When people ask me, you know, in Cincinnati, oh, can you really hire, can you hire talent here? I said, can you hire talent in Silicon Valley? We are competing with (laughs) Google and Facebook and Salesforce. And if you do hire them, you know, they're getting phone calls and they're poached out weeks later. It's so part of the things that I look for are, are those entrepreneurs that understand that they do have a strategic advantage. Yes. Outside of that echo chamber.
1: You got it, hundred percent. We just closed a deal in Omaha, Nebraska, of all places. The founder of that business, Keith Fix. I mean, he has to. He's got his choice of top, top tier talent in the region. People want to work for Keith. I mean, he's he's a, he's a successful entrepreneur, and he's building a an amazing business. And he gets his choice, right? It's not it's not a battle and a fight for people that you know, are just out for a paycheck, (laughs) you know, it's really passionate people that want to build something. It's part of the challenge. I mean, some friends of mine here in Chicago are working on that. Uh, the M25 group is, has built out, you know, a Midwest centric, uh, content series on medium, Uh, a friend of mine, Jonathan Ellis at Sandolphin capital is sponsoring a virtual event right now called Midwest tech connect, I believe, where he's connecting entrepreneurs with investors, Uh, centered on the Midwest, of course. And so I think there's a lot of efforts. There's no easy answer when you have, you know, a huge landmass and you're trying to connect people. Um, But even here at Newstack, you know, we recently rolled out a program and this has actually been in stealth. So this is the first time I've talked about it publicly. We call it 10X and we got the name, you know, you hear about 10X developers and you hear about 10X products, right? Well, we have been fortunate. We've been at this now for six years and uh, we have some founders and some CEOs in our portfolio that are 10x CEOs. I mean, these people are orders of magnitude better than the norm. They are just transformational leaders that have built tremendous value that aren't located in the valley, right? They're located in the middle of the country. And what really needs to happen is the young entrepreneurs that are getting new financing, they need the right mentors, not just any mentor right? You don't want them just speaking with any old advisor that's going to give, I mean, you hear about these accelerator programs, you go and meet with 30 advisors a week and then you get 30 different pieces of advice that are conflicting, right? What I think makes for the best advisor is not Tim, it's not Nick Moran, it's actually the CEO in a similar category, in a similar space that's two to three years ahead of where you're at, right? They're seeing it firsthand And if you can find the best ones, the 10 Xers, and pair them with new portfolio companies that we invest in, we feel like those new portfolio companies are going to have an outsized chance of success. And they're going to be able to do it more capital efficiently and have somebody to call, right? I mean, it's, it's hard to find somebody to call on the tough days that really understands your play, right? This, of course, is only for our portfolio. So, but it's a small way that we're really trying to help this next generation, you know, connect with other folks of a similar mindset that can, can help them find a quicker path to success.
0: I love that. I love that. That's, that's part of this. uh, The pioneers helping the new pioneers that are coming in and, you know, establishing new territories. And it gets back to also the speed and acceleration. If, if we're going to compete, we have to move faster and accelerate. And the only way you do that is learn from other people's experiences and mistakes.
1: 100%. Yeah. Yep. I I mean, I would have, I have made so many mistakes. And if I didn't have access to people like you and all these folks that, you know, I've featured on the podcast over the years, I'd be making a whole lot more mistakes, you know, when it comes to investment approach or portfolio construction or reserve strategy. I mean, there's just so much that's opaque about what we do for a living. And just having access access to folks that have been doing it longer that have experience has been super helpful for Newstack.
0: Well, you could probably fill a whole library with all the things you learned in your podcast. Yeah, it's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot of great information in there. What are the, what are your top three learnings that you had that maybe were really surprising learnings that you've applied to your, your own investing or your own um, portfolio?
1: Well, first and foremost, the team is the most important thing at the earliest stages There's, I mean, that's been, that's been echoed many, many times by the best of the best investors. If you find transformational people, um, they will build amazing companies. I mean, Sarah tavell was just on the, on the show from benchmark and she was saying, the best entrepreneurs are not constrained by market size, right? You look at something that looks like it might be a small market, they're not constrained by market size. The best entrepreneurs find ways to expand markets, customer sets, product lines, applications, et cetera. Um, so it, it really is about the people. This is a people business. If you find the right sorts of people and partner with them, uh, you can be really successful. What other key lessons? I mean, as a fund manager, portfolio construction really matters. It really matters. You have to be super thoughtful about how many investments you're doing, at what stage you're investing in, what sort of amounts you invest, what sort of reserve strategy you have. Those things are critical and can make a huge difference in the success of your venture firm. And if you're trying to build a franchise, you know, if you're trying to be a good actor that's going to support founders for the long term, you can't be loose you have to stay focused you have to commit to something and follow through on it otherwise you might do some good investments but be out of business and then how are you going to help <laughs> so portfolio construction really matters
0: what and what have you learned about adjusting when you when you find that maybe the plan's not quite working out or the the uh maybe the founders are uh, doing a great job but not a TEDx founder I mean, let's back to learning, you know, the way we learn is through our mistakes, right? So let's yeah. like, how have you dealt with that?
1: Well, you, you build that into your process, right? Whether it comes to sourcing or selection or winning deals, like you have to learn from the investments that you wouldn't do again. They might not be bad investments, but they, they might be investments that aren't the best fit, right? Uh, maybe the style of the entrepreneur isn't the best fit for your firm maybe the advantage that we can provide to that entrepreneur is in a sink for what they need. Um, and so there are, there, there are misalignments that happen. There are mistakes that happen. Of course, you have to, you have to continue to get better, better and better as time goes on. Um, we've been really fortunate. The first 10, 11 investments we've done are all have all increased in value and are doing quite well. And I was talking to the team the other day, and they were saying, oh, you know, I, I really hope the investments we've done over the last 18 months perform like the initial ones. And I said, well, by God, I hope so. I hope we're getting better at this. Oh, so for same, time, right, right. I hope we're learning from mistakes <laughs> and applying those and improving, right? And not uh, just looking at survivorship bias or whatever else. So, um, yeah, the idea is you, you have to continue evolving. You have to continue getting better doing a podcast like you're doing. Uh, speaking with folks you know much more experienced and smarter than myself, hopefully and and me doing this as well uh, hosting TFR, hopefully that makes me better and better over time. Um, having this you know tribe of mentors or access to to experts um, so to speak should continue to to evolve our mindset and our ability to be you know great great stewards of LP capital and great service providers to the founders that we invest in.
0: Uh, speaking of capital and speaking of new stacks, since the time you started Full Ratchet and New Stack, how has the landscape changed in the Midwest and what else needs to happen to see more success?
1: Uh, there there are a lot more players and there are a lot more players with founder-friendly mindsets, which is great. We do still, you know, in the the smaller cities, we do still see really shady deals happening and angels that are, you know, taking rights that are way off market and trying to get advisor shares. And we just had a situation where, you know, a board member was trying to get paid for serving on the board for a pre-seed company. I mean, this is just uh, obnoxiously bad. So there are still bad things that happen. And if Newstack becomes involved in deals like that, we have to clean everything up because there's no way we can take, you know, we can take a structure in a situation like that to series a and, and set a startup up for success. You know, those things still need to be cleaned up. So that still exists, but largely speaking, there's a way, there's way more venture firms and way more good actors, you know, folks like refinery and some of the others that we mentioned on on the show. I thankfully there are some capital providers so that all this amazing talent doesn't have to flee for the coast, which was the standard, right? A decade plus ago, you know, nine out of 10 amazing entrepreneurs would just move to the valley because the capital wasn't here. Uh, the talent's here, right? The research is here. The education, the educational institutions are here, but people would head for the coast because that's where they could get the money and, and, and build what they wanted to build. And so now we have that in the Midwest, which is, uh, you know, it's changing the way that startups are built and where they're built.
0: Yeah, I've been in Venture since ninety eight and the landscape definitely is different now and the i think the new generation like yourself and and many of the others like m twenty five are doing so many things the right way so far in a, in a way that has been hasn't been done before and uh if we get more successes hopefully that also helps us in terms of educating our potential investors our investors and our l p s right
1: sure sure i mean that's what we aim to do, so um, we're sort of preparing for a new fund. We haven't started raising that fund, but we're preparing for it. And my object, my objective, has been to remove every objection. <laughs> so, like, I heard a lot of objections at Fund One on why mm-hmm. this wasn't going to work. And so, you know, we've really rolled up our sleeves and uh, tried to remove them all, including, you know, performance metrics and we're very fortunate that we have partnered with the right founders and that's put us in a good position. But nevertheless, there was an objection I heard (laughs) from an LP recently, which is, you know, what's the TAM in all these overlooked areas? You know, how big is the opportunity? Are there going to be multi-billion dollar companies founded and how many, I don't, you know, I'm skeptical. Right. Yeah. They're still skeptical. So to your point, you know, getting some more capital with the right founders in these places, uh, and the more successes we have, the less we're going to have to deal with that objection.
0: Right. Well, it, it's a, and it's a fair question. I think uh, maybe Mark Andreessen who said this. You know, their job is. You know, there's about 20 companies that produce all the value every you know every year founded, and their job is to be in at least one of them. Right. It's a fixed yeah. market. It's a fixed market size. Right. So well,
1: certainly, certainly, when you're investing at Series A or Series B you need to hit you know, one of the top 20 or one of the top 40. Uh, when you're investing at seed, it's different. It's more like you know, one of the top 200 because you're getting in at better prices and conceivably you're getting more ownership. So the, the returns distribution do change depending on the stage that you invest at. If you're a B or C investor and you miss on one of the really big returners, you're gonna have a really tough time you know, showing fund returns that are top quartile.
0: So what would you like to see in terms of those, the, the follow-on investors, the Series, series A and beyond? What, what does Newstack or your portfolio need?
1: Startups need three things, you know, more so than anything else. They need access to capital, access to talent, and access to customers. At Newstack, we've really optimized around one thing. We're not a big enough firm to try and do platform and try and be good at everything. Right. And so what we've done is we've built like a lot of tools and a lot of processes and a lot of knowledge base uh, around capital strategy. Right. Our goal is to get every company we back to Series A to get them funded by a Series A uh, venture firm. And so far, we've our batting average pretty good there, like north of 90%. So that's what we focus on. But uh, these startups need help with more than just You know, introductions to venture capitalists and how to create interest and how to raise money. They also need access to really strong talent. And not every circumstance is like Keith's in Omaha, where he has people beating down his door. You know, there are a lot of startups that need to find really good developers, growth marketers, you know, operations folks, uh, finance folks, et cetera. And that can be tricky, right? Finding really good talent. So, VCs that can provide some value with talent networks is huge. So you don't have to pay recruiters every time, um, which is pretty common. And then, uh, of course, interest to customers. I mean, that that can be uh, uh, ace in the hole. If for some reason, you know, you as a venture firm are set up either in a specific sector or in an industry, or you have unusual access to C-level folks at, you know, the right sorts of companies, enterprises that could potentially become customers for, let's say, an enterprise SaaS startup, uh, that can really, you know, change the game. I've had a number of founders reach out to me about putting in a good word at Danaher, for instance, where I used to work or getting an intro to somebody there and some other businesses. So uh, we don't you know, make that a strategic priority. We don't have a strategic asset that we can provide to, to founders in terms of being proactive and introducing them to large swaths of customers. That can be a huge asset. And if a Series A fund has it, that's, that's a huge positive.
0: Yeah, it's such a great point. I mean, when I was early days, when we were setting up Centrifuse in Cincinnati, which was backed by Procter and Gamble and Kroger and Western and Southern and American Financial Group, you know, I remember being in one of the first board meetings where they said, "Okay, we want this venture community in Cincinnati and you know startup community, and we need we need capital." It's like, no, you, no, the startups need customers. Right? <laughs> it's interesting because the corporations think that the the startups need capital. I'm like, no, capital actually is pretty easy to get if you have customers, right? That's and, right. And there are so many major corporations throughout the Midwest that if they open up their doors more to make it easier to deal with those startups, to do more testing, which I think is also part of you know the attribute of a fast frontier, right? Uh, every company has to think of themselves as a tech company in today's environment. Yep. Yep. And that means learning faster and faster. And the way you do that is by interacting with these founders who are creating new exciting technologies or innovations
1: well and what's the best source of non-diluted funding yep customers customers right they are the best source of funding because it's non-dilutive so if you find if you can find customers that are willing to pay you then you have to rate you don't have to raise as much
0: yeah so any any anybody at major corporation listening to this please look at the new stack portfolio and see if there are any <laughs> customers there that you uh and, and by the way, they don't have to be major contracts either, right? There's a situation I know I saw where, you know, the, the uh, startup was able to just get a, a proof of concept sort of, you know, but paid pilot with the customer. But that reference led to so many other similar types of customers and perfect at that time. It didn't need to be a major contract. It was, the, the learning was so important.
1: 100%. Like I, uh, Spoke with a an LP in Virginia yesterday. Wonderful guy. And uh their minimum fund size that they look at is a hundred million. So the fund I mentioned before that we're we're putting a strategy together on that we're gonna do, it won't be a fit, right? It's not big enough. But he's making interest of all these different LPs that are uh invest in emerging managers, right? And he's, he's got a good endorsement because he's a big fan of TFR. Of course, you know, that's more at the venture level, but uh, just getting access to good folks that believe in what you're doing can help provide, you know, more access and more networks to to other types of customers.
0: Well, along those lines you mentioned earlier, and I love that you mentioned it, uh, capital efficiency, right? And this is another one of these things I think more entrepreneurs who haven't been through this or, you know, not in Silicon Valley need to understand it here. Cause they see, they see these other companies raise a bunch of money and like, Oh, I could be that successful if I had that money too. And it's no, they raised that money, not because they needed it is because they could, because capital follows growth. They were growing. until so they attracted all this capital. Right. Yep. But they, the, the way you attract is by being capital efficient to begin with. Right. right. Understanding your, your metrics. And, at the seed stage, and I know you know we come in post-seed,, right, which I call early scale, a lot of that early revenue it, it seems to me people mistake investors and, and entrepreneurs as scale revenue versus what I'll call test revenue. So that first million or so, you're really optimizing for learning from customers, not mm-hmm. optimizing for revenue per se or or Mm -hmm. cash, which is the real problem, right? The real problem is you need cash, which is oxygen to survive. And how how do you think about that? How's that relate to your portfolio as they're trying to produce the metrics that will attract the Series A?
1: Well, I mean, cash is king, but just because you can access cash because you got a good story doesn't mean you should take it, right? So Eric Paley at Founder Collective, one of the best in the business at seed is famous for talking about this, you know? Don't just take the highest valuation you get and the most money you get because it, it changes all the expectations, right? If you can raise at 20000000 million pre-money valuation and you can raise $5 million bucks on a seed round with just an idea on a piece of paper because it's such a big idea and you've got a good background, it doesn't mean you should take it because the expectation is in 12 to 18 months you're raising at double or more. So, you better be you know in twelve to eighteen months, you better have built enough progress and enough momentum that you can raise at forty million plus right or even greater if it's a twenty million pre five million round that's twenty five posts you're really looking at a fifty million pre for the next round because it's typically double the post of the of the pre- previous round, so it really raises the bar um and the more money you take, you know the more money you'll spend <laughs> as much you know as much money as you put into a business whether it's me or the founders we invest in, we all find a way to spend it. And so kind of the leader, you can operate, usually you can, you know, you can find resourceful ways to stretch a buck. And that's part of the reason why I'm, I love the founders in our portfolio so much because when the pandemic broke, I had a call with each of them and we kind of touched base, you know, what's cash position And, and across the portfolio, we had on average 17 and a half months of cash, we were just in a much healthier position from a cash standpoint versus many of our peer funds. And our our founders know how to stretch a buck. They know how to, you know, be really cash and capital efficient and make sure that if they they have significant headwinds from, from this COVID-19 situation, that they can ride it out and be in a position to really hit that growth curve once it it does it does close so yeah capital capital efficiency is really important uh, i like to say that in the public stock market past history is not indicative of future results right but with human beings past history is very indicative of future results <laughs> that's a great way to put and, it and so if a founder is you know got a track record of being very capital inefficient and spending way too much money to acquire every dollar of customer revenue. You know, the facts suggest they're going to continue to do that. It, they're going to continue to be very capital efficiency. And the opposite is true as well. Yeah, we put we put a huge premium and focus on how do we keep this thing lean. And that's part of our pre-filter criteria. Honestly, Tim, we're a pre-seed seed investor. But if a startup shows up in our door and they've raised more than a million bucks, we don't even look at it. Um, you because go. you really shouldn't be pitching us, you know, a pre-seed seed investor. If you've already raised a million bucks, you should really be on a more of that postseed or you know prepping for an A.
0: This is what I love about you. You're you're an active, I'll call active thinker, right? You're not just following blindly uh, patterns of the industry or others or what what you read about in magazines. You're actively uh, and open to new ideas, and I think that's what pioneers do. Uh, so you're learning along the way. So thank you very much, Nick. This has been awesome.
1: I'm glad there's somebody in the world that appreciates my irreverence, Tim. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Love it. All right, man. Well, this is
1: this was a lot of fun. Thanks so much for doing it, Tim. This is a much needed show for for all the founders out there. And so, you know, I'm very pleased that you welcome me on and you know appreciate the fact that you're you're helping founders everywhere.
0: Thank you. Good luck. Trails. Thanks for listening to Fast Frontiers. If you like the show and want to know more, check out our website, fastfrontiers.com. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others and give us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. Join us next week when we bring you my conversation with Tim Holcomb, Associate Professor and Chair of the Department of Entrepreneurship in the Farmer School of Business at Miami University.